What's going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Primetime Sports Podcast, hosted by Johnny Milari. So last week, Boston College played Florida State in a big game at Alumni Stadium. I previewed the game with Paul the Sports Wizard. We talked about what we think was going to happen in the game. We both thought BC would be within two scores. And BC really surprised in this one. Only losing this one 31-29 to against the number four team in the country. No one really expected the game to be this close, especially when Florida State was the number four team in the nation heading into last week. But BC showed up, and they made plays, and they really did come out with some fire. And this is a BC team that barely beat Holy Cross the week before. So when you could barely beat Holy Cross a week ago, and then you have to face Florida State, that's a really tough matchup. That's a really tough matchup when you barely escape with the win against Holy Cross, an FCS team. It's really good, but nevertheless, you should win that game handedly. And then you have to go and face them before team in the country at home just one week after Billy beating Holy Cross. That's a tough matchup. That really is. But BC found a way to stay close in this game. And I think part of it is that it was a red bandana game, the Wells Crowley game. So it means a lot to the BC community. And I know the Eagles made him proud of this game. They fought really hard. And they had some comeback magic at the end that made it a close game. They never gave up. So even though it was a tough game, if you look at the score, 31-29, it's a tough loss when you're losing that close. I'm proud of BC for fighting that hard because nobody expected them to be in the game that close. And BC put pressure on Florida State from the get-go. A 32-yard touchdown pass from Thomas Castellanos to Lewis Bond, putting BC up 7-0 within the first four minutes of the game. BC was actually leading after the first quarter, 10-3. Castellanos was very impressive in this game. He looked very good for BC over the last two matchups, which is huge for BC considering week one against Northern Illinois, there wasn't really great quarterback play. Castellanos in this one was 20 of 33 passing, a 61% completion percentage, 305 passing yards, a touchdown, an interception with a 142 passer rating, 16 carries and 95 yards in a touchdown on the ground. So two total touchdowns in this game for 400 total yards. He's a very shifty and elusive runner, so I really like seeing him scramble and make plays with his legs when plays break down, and he used that to his advantage a lot in this game versus Florida State. BC got Joe Griffin going in this one. He was huge for the offense as a wide receiver. Three catches for 65 yards on nine targets. He was heavily involved in this one with obviously Castellanos throwing to him nine times. Dino Tomlin had a huge 52-yard catch when BC was fighting to make a comeback. That set up BC for great field position. And the score at halftime, which that Dean Tomlin catch was in the second half, but the score at halftime was 17-10 to with two second-quarter touchdowns by Florida State. So BC led at one point 10-3 after the first quarter. Florida State scores two touchdowns in the second quarter, makes it 17-10, to one of the touchdowns being a 19-yard touchdown pass from Jordan Travis to tight end Jaheen Bell, who was a problem all day for BC's defense. He was forcing missed tackles left and right. He finished the day with five catches of 76 yards and a touchdown. And then the other second-quarter touchdown was running back Trey Benson, who finished the day 12 carries to 38 yards and a touchdown. Not his biggest day, but like I noted in the game preview last week, Florida State loves to throw the ball. They're better throwing the ball than they are running the ball. And BC's secondary was a stronger part of their team through the first two games against Northern Illinois and Holy Cross. So I thought they could step up in this one. They did, even though they did struggle against Bell. The secondary did play well enough in this game to give BC a chance to win. Florida State did take over, though, early in the second half with two third-quarter touchdowns to open the second half, one of them being a four-yard touchdown pass from Jordan Travis, and then the other one being a one-yard touchdown run by DJ Lundy, making it a 31-10 game with 11-24 left in the third quarter. And at one point in this game, it was 10-3 BC, right, at the end of the first quarter. And then Florida State scored four straight touchdowns to take a 31-10 lead. BC could have easily given up at this point and just rolled over. That's not what they did. That's not what they did. They really stepped up on offense, and their defense really stepped up in the fourth quarter. They gave two touchdowns in the second quarter, two touchdowns in the third quarter, and then the defense really stepped up in the fourth quarter, including forcing a fumble from a Florida State wide receiver and recovering it was picked up by Kyrie Johnson, defensive back for BC, for an eight-yard touchdown. That got BC right back in the game, brought the energy back from the student body and the BC fan base, which was awesome to see. 
That defensive touchdown there by Kyrie Johnson made it a 31-22 game with 11 minutes and 18 seconds to go. But right before that scoop and score touchdown, BC had the chance to score fourth and two on Florida State's five-yard line, down 31-16 with 13.40 to go. And rather than kicking a field goal, BC went for it, which I agreed with was the right decision. But they were stopped short. Fourth and two on Florida State's five-yard line. I believe they tried to run the ball with Kai Robichaud. That didn't work. And all of a sudden, BC is down. Now 15, Florida State gets the ball back on their own five-yard line just about. And then the defensive touchdown by Kyrie Johnson makes it a 31-22 game with 11-18 to go. BC decides to go for two and misses it. And unfortunately, I wouldn't have gone for two there. I would have gone for one and made it an eight-point game with 11-18 to go. At that point, it's still a one-possession game if you kick the extra point. I'm not really the biggest fan of going for two when you're down by nine. That's what BC ended up going with. I know you're going to have to get a two-point conversion at some point, but I would rather have the chance of being down just one possession with 11-18 to go rather than being down two possessions technically because it's a nine-point game, not an eight-point game. I would always rather try to get the two-point conversion at the end of the game. I know that's not the strategy and analytics say differently, but regardless, I would rather kick the extra point making an eight-point game with 11 minutes to go rather than risk making it a nine-point game if you miss the extra point. And that's what the case was there at BC missing the two-point conversion there with 11 minutes to go. BC's defense, though, did step up. BC got another chance in the fourth quarter, down by just two points at that point. BC held Florida State in this one to zero points in the fourth quarter. Zero points in the fourth quarter. Outscored Florida State 13 to nothing in the fourth quarter. There were a lot of gutsy plays in this one, especially in the second half. BC's defense stepped up even more than just the defensive score by Kyrie Johnson. BC actually forced a punt on a five-play drive for Florida State, getting the offensive ball back down nine with seven minutes to go which ended up leading to a touchdown drive carried by Thomas Castellanos. There was a third and 10 play in BC's five-yard line at the start of the drive. He had a 13-yard scramble for a first down. The odds were against him to get a first down running the ball, but he found a way to make a few defenders miss and get the first down, which is obviously big in that situation. Then on the same drive, fourth and two on Florida State's seven-yard line, BC drives all the way down the field. They have a fourth and two play on Florida State's seven-yard line, down nine points, and Thomas Castellanos takes the snap, sees no one's open, decides to run the ball. He scrambles to the outside, gets around the defense, makes a few defenders miss, and gets in the end zone with a seven-yard touchdown on the ground. So BC makes it a 31-29 game, making the extra point. 31-29 game with five minutes to go. And if you don't go for two earlier and you kick to the extra point, let's say after the defensive touchdown, you're down just two in this situation at this point, and you can go for two here and tie the game. Rather than being down three in this situation, because you missed the two-point conversion after the defensive score. I understand it. If you make the two-point conversion earlier in the game, it's a little bit easier. And now you can only kick the extra point here and tie the game up. But since you missed the two-point conversion earlier in the game, now you're down three in this situation. You have to kick the extra point, and now you're down two. If you make the two-point conversion earlier, you're down just one point in this situation. You have an opportunity to maybe kick the extra point and tie the game up, or maybe go for two and take the lead. That's what I think BC would have ended up choosing to do, considering BC was an underdog in this game. You sometimes just go for it, try to go for the win right there in that situation. Maybe that's part of the game plan. I'm not really too sure. But if you're looking for tying the game, I would rather kick the extra point earlier and then go for two at the end when you get this extra score here with about five minutes to go on that rushing touchdown by Castellanos. And BC really fought in this game, which I'm going to talk about a couple other big situations in the game. But earlier in the game, BC was down 31-16. to With a minute to go in the third quarter, BC was trailing 31-16. Kai Robichaud, BC running back, had a one-yard touchdown run. Then BC decided to onside kick it. And it somehow worked. They got Florida State by surprise. BC ends up recovering it. On the Florida State 26-yard line, really good field position. Get the ball back after just scoring a touchdown. Down 15 points with just about a quarter to go. And this was the drive that BC was stopped in the Florida State 5-yard line and 4th down with 13.40 to go. And then BC ends up getting the defensive touchdown anyways 
after Florida State gets the ball back, you know, after the turnover downs, BC ends up getting the defensive score, and they end up getting it to be a closer game in the fourth quarter. But I respect the guts of Jeff Halfley in that situation there. Decided to onside kick it. There's a lot of risk. Giving Florida State decent field position is never something you want to do. But you catch Florida State by surprise there, and you end up recovering the ball. And it was a weird onside kick. It wasn't like a normal onside kick where you just kick it sideways, you know, 10 yards. This one went probably 20 yards downfield. It went towards the side of the field, like towards the sidelines. And BC ended up recovering it. It was muffed by a Florida State player, and BC ends up recovering it and puts them in really good field position here with the chance to score. So that was a big situation in the game. They got BC to the point where they did at the end of the game. Now BC was down. As I said, they got you know a couple big situations, a rushing touchdown by Thomas Castellanos, the defensive score. They're down 31-29 after the nine-play, 95-yard touchdown drive kept off with a seven-yard touchdown score by Castellanos. So everything was going to BC's favor towards the end of the game. And BC's defense had the chance to force a three and out and get BC's offense the ball back down two with around four or five minutes to go. And what did BC's defense do? They stepped up, forced a three and out with four minutes and 43 seconds to go and got BC the ball back with their offense, trailing by two points with four minutes and 37 seconds remaining in this game. And BC on this drive had a couple key plays here by Castellanos, as always. Third and 20 of BC's 12-yard line. They backed up in their own territory. And Castellanos rolled out, avoided the Florida State pass rush, which sacked him for a nine-yard loss on the play before. So he was trying to not get sacked in this play. Rose to the outside, gets around the pass rush, and finds Ryan O'Keefe for a 28-yard gain in a first down. An electric and miraculous find by Castellanos in this play. BC ends up finding themselves on their own 40-yard line with two minutes and 28 seconds to go with the fourth down opportunity. And they decide to punt the ball here and see if their defense could get them the ball back again. And that's obviously not the case. BC ends up not getting the ball back, unfortunately. Florida State gained a first down, and that's the end of the game. BC had a record 18 penalties in this one, which there was a penalty on that last drive for BC's defense, which they were trying to force another three and out with under two minutes to go. But a first down was given to Florida State with the penalty, and that ends up ending the game there for Boston College. BC had 18 penalties in this game, which was a program record. You can't really win any game at any level with 18 penalties for 131 yards. BC needs to be better this week versus Louisville. BC did outgain Florida State in this game 457 yards to 340, which is a positive note. Their offense was moving the ball very easily against the number four team in the country. BC was also 42% on third down, which is great. Florida State was just 22%, so obviously the defense did step up on third down and got off the field. And especially in the fourth quarter, they gave BC an opportunity to try to win the game down two points with around four minutes to go. BC was also four for five on fourth down on offense, which was huge. They were finding ways to get first downs and convert on fourth down. And one part of the offense that I want to shout out, obviously I've talked about Castellanos and his miraculous play. BC's offensive line did hold up enough to keep them in this game. They did. They held up enough in this game to keep BC in this game. So credit to them. And Castellanos is an absolute baller. He actually became the fifth quarterback with 300 passing yards, 95 rushing yards versus a top five opponent since 2010. Just the fifth quarterback with 300 passing yards and 95 rushing yards versus a top five opponent since 2010. Joining Johnny Manziel, who did it versus Bama in 2013, JT Barrett versus Penn State in 2017, Kyla Murray, who did it versus Alabama in 2018, and then Spencer Sanders versus Notre Dame in 2021. Murray and Castellanos, though, were the only two of those five quarterbacks that I named to have 300 passing yards, 95 rushing yards, a passing touchdown, and a rushing touchdown in the same game. So credit to Castellanos, a historic day there on the Heights for him at the quarterback position. So now I'm going to transition and talk about the college football games of the Week 4 slate this weekend. So I'm going to preview a handful of games. We're going to start off with number 4 Florida State heading to Clemson. 
Florida State did show some vulnerability last week versus BC in the pass game. BC did move the ball very easily against Florida State's defense. We'll see if the pass defense does get better today against Cade Klubnick and the Clemson Tigers, who are now 2-1 and one on the year. They just beat Florida Atlantic last week 48-14. to Cade Klubnick in that game had 169 passing outs and three touchdowns. Clemson has won now two games in a row after losing the opening night game against Duke on Labor Day, which was a tough start to their season, but they found a way to win the last two games. Florida State does lead the series between Clemson and Florida State 20-15. to Florida State's won 20 games, only lost 15. Clemson has won seven straight games, though, with two of those seven games being one-score games. The other five games are all by two scores or more. Last year, though, was a very close game. Clemson won that one 34-28. Florida State is 9-4 in their history. When they're ranked, playing an unranked Clemson team, which Clemson, I think, is the 26th team in the post. They're technically not ranked. They're like the first team out. So they're good enough to be a ranked team. But as the way things do stand right now, they are unranked. So Florida State is 9-4 in their history when playing an unranked Clemson team. But as I said, this team's better than an unranked team since they're probably just outside the rankings around 26. Florida State does need a big game from Jordan Travis. He did look good last week against BC, but didn't really beat them too much in the past game. Only 212 passing outs, two touchdowns. And he also did add in four carries to 38 yards on the ground. But it wasn't his biggest game. They need a big game from today, though, against Clemson. Johnny Wilson was his favorite target last week. He had seven targets in the game, four catches for 105 yards with a few big catches, especially in the first half. And then he had a couple big catches, I believe, in the second half as well when they scored a couple touchdowns in the third quarter. He didn't catch a touchdown in that game, but he had a couple big conversions on third down, if I remember right. One thing Florida State needs is pressure from defensive lineman Jared Verse in this game. He had three tackles and a tackle for a loss for his BC last week. My prediction in this one is that Florida State wins 31-27. I think it'll be a close game towards the end, but I think Florida State is the better team, and they end up getting a win here on the road against Clemson. So now I'm going to preview BC at Louisville. BC is a two-touchdown underdog in this game against a 3-0 Louisville team that is a good team, don't get me wrong, but after the momentum BC had last week from their game against Florida State that was very close— I think they're going to be in this game with Louisville. I really do. I think it's going to be right down to the wire. I think BC will have a chance to win the game, maybe. But I think it'll be a very close game regardless. BC is 2-2 two two versus Louisville in their last four games playing them. Beating them 34-33 in a very close game last year at BC. Louisville is 3-0 on the season, beating Indiana on the road last week, 21-14. With Malik Cunningham graduating last year, Jack Plummer is the Cardinals quarterback who has 732 passing outs on the year with five passing touchdowns and four picks. Can use his legs a little bit. And he only really uses it when he has to. He's not going to really beat you in the run game. It's not like he was Malik Cunningham last year and had, you know, a thousand options a game and ran the ball 15, 20 times a game. He did carry the ball eight times last week of 42 yards over versus Indiana. Has a very good arm, but is very prone to throwing interceptions, as you can tell, with four interceptions on the year in three games. So BC needs to find a way to get an interception this weekend. Louisville's best player on offense is Jamari Thrash, who is a wide receiver that's a big worry for BC secondary. 14 catches of 329 yards and four touchdowns on the season. He is a transfer from Georgia State and has put up big numbers this year for Louisville in just the first three games of the season. So that's definitely something BC is going to have to be ready for. He had seven touchdowns last year for Georgia State and now transfers from Georgia State to Louisville. And he's had a big role in that offense already. He'll probably have around five catches of 75 yards and a touchdown in this game. But BC would take that and probably be happy considering how hot he's been and how he's capable of going for 100 yards and two touchdowns any game considering how good he is and how dangerous he is when the ball is in his hands. Last week, he had four catches for 159 yards and a touchdown versus Indiana. So BC has to find a way to quiet him today on offense. Now to transition and talk about BC, Thomas Castellanos, a guy I've mentioned now a good amount in this episode has 644 passing yards with five passing touchdowns and two interceptions on the season. Does run the ball very well. 231 rushing yards and two rushing touchdowns. It's nice for BC to have a mobile quarterback 
First off, they can extend plays with their legs. They always make the game more exciting. And secondly, when you have an offensive line that was struggling last season, it would have helped to have a mobile quarterback considering they can get out of the pocket and evade the rush rather easily. And that's what Castellanos did last week versus Florida State. Now to transition to BC's defense. Their run defense has to stop Louisville's running back, Jawad Jordan who has 344 yards on the ground this year and four rushing touchdowns. He's been absolutely balling for them out of the backfield. Last week versus Indiana, he had 18 carries for 113 yards and a touchdown. So BC will have their hands full trying to stop him today, but they also have to stop Plummer. And I think Elijah Jones is going to step up today for BC secondary and get an interception. I think BC keeps this game close. And of course, I'd like BC to win this game. If they win this game, they're right back to 502-2, which would be huge, considering they lost the first game of the season to Northern Illinois. Well, that's a game you should have won. You barely beat Holy Cross. Then you're in a very close game with Florida State. If you find a way to recover today and get back to 2-2, two two, that would be huge. So we'll see what happens. If BC loses, they'll be 1-3. and three. But they do play Virginia at home next week, which should be an easy win for BC, considering Virginia's been struggling on the year heavily on offense and defense. I think this will be a close game for BC. I think the close loss against Florida State was huge momentum for the BC program. It gets it back on track, and now they know they can compete with some of the best teams in the country, even though you're not going to beat the best team in the country every week. You know, in a one-game situation, you can compete with anyone like you did last week. Here's my prediction, though. And even though BC does have a lot to work on still, like run defense and obviously pressuring the quarterback, they haven't really pressured the quarterback too much this season, and obviously they've needed help you know, with the offensive line over the last season or two. They've gotten better this year, though. BC does have some issues. They missed an extra point last week versus Florida State, as they typically do every single week. I think BC will find a way to keep this game close. I think they lose a very close one, though, 30-27. to I think it could be an upset, though. I think BC will be in this game at the end. One thing they have to do better with today is limiting penalties, because last week penalties killed BC. 18 penalties for 131 yards versus Florida State. You're not going to win any game when you have 18 penalties against you. Now I'm going to move on and talk about the number 24 team in the country, Iowa, heading to the number 17 in the country, Penn State. Iowa has won the last two matchups between these two programs, but this Penn State team is much different than the Penn State teams from years past. They're averaging 43 points per game in the season. Iowa just averaging 28 points per game in offense, but their defense is what has kept Iowa in every game this season. That's why they're ranked 24th heading into this game. They're allowing just 12 points per game on defense. The same goes for Penn State. Both teams are around 12 points per game allowed on defense on the season. Penn State is led by quarterback Drew Aller, a guy I've talked about now a couple times in the podcast. 734 passing yards and four touchdowns on the season. Katron Allen is their lead back. 208 rushing yards and two rushing touchdowns. Iowa's quarterback is Cade McNamara who has 417 passing yards, four passing touchdowns, and three interceptions on the season. Iowa beat Iowa State 20-13 in Week 2. They also beat Utah State 24-14 in Week 1. Iowa's defense is what their strong suit is as a team. Penn State's offense, though, is so good. So I'm excited to see what Iowa's defense looks like versus Penn State's offense. Penn State beat Illinois last week 30-13 with zero touchdowns for Drew Ellis. So even when he doesn't have his best day passing, with only a 48.5% completion percentage and 208 passing yards and no passing touchdowns, they still found a way to win by three scores in that game, 30-13 to 13 over Illinois. I think Penn State wins this one, 28-17. That is my prediction there on that one. Now we'll move on to UCAL Berkeley at number eight, Washington. Michael Penix, the quarterback for Washington, has been electric this season. He's right up there with Caleb Williams for the Heisman. He was my prediction to win the Heisman before the season began. It's looking pretty good right now. He's right behind Caleb Williams. Penix has been balling 1,332 passing yards, which is the most in college football, a category he led college football in last season. He's also averaging 444 passing yards per game with 12 passing touchdowns and one interception. He's been absolutely miraculous at the quarterback position for Washington. And I understand he's older than most of the 2024 NFL draft prospects, 
But I would still take him in the top five. I think he's a very good quarterback. I think he's going to be a very good pro quarterback, most importantly. And I would still consider him being a top five pick in the NFL draft, even though he is on the older side than some of the quarterbacks that will be drafted early in the first round in this upcoming draft. The Washington Huskies have won two straight meetings versus UCAL Berkeley in a 3-2 in the last five games played between the programs. Their top wide receiver is Rome Odunes, who has been balling this season, 22 catches for 419 yards and two touchdowns. Every week he makes a big play for Penix, so we'll see what he does today. Cal is 2-1 on the year. If you look at their schedule, they had to play Auburn in Week 2, lost 14-10. They did beat Idaho last week, 31-17, and they beat North Texas to start the season, 58-21. Their quarterback is Sam Jackson, who has 270 passing yards, three passing touchdowns, and two interceptions in the season. Also added in a rushing touchdown as well. They rely heavily on their running back, Jaden Ott, who has 40 carries on the season for 268 yards and three touchdowns. My prediction for this game is that Penix throws for 350 yards, three touchdowns, and Washington wins this one, 38-20. Next up, we have the number 22 team in the country, UCLA, heading to number 11, Utah. That's going to be a good matchup. Both teams are 3-0 heading into this weekend. This is the second time that both teams are ranked in a matching up against each other at the same time. Utah has won five of the last six games versus UCLA. Utah could be without quarterback camp rising yet again for another week. He hasn't played yet this season, and that's obviously a big loss considering he's one of the best quarterbacks in college football. Utah's quarterback has been Bryson Bonds, who's played instead of Cam rising with him being out injured. Bynes has been solid enough for them to be 3-0 still. 230 passing yards, a touchdown, and an interception. Not really that flashy. He's not really as good, obviously, as Cam Rising. Utah's ran the ball very well, and they've played very good defense, and that's what's kept them afloat with Rising out. Running back Jaquindon Jackson, who has been very good for them in the run game, has 33 carries for 213 yards on the ground in the season. And then their top wide receiver is Money Pox, who I predict would have a big breakout season, thinking he'd have Kim Rising as a starting quarterback. But with Rising out, it's been tough for him to really get many targets, just eight catches for 138 yards and two touchdowns on the season. Their best player on defense is Cole Bishop, who is an absolute baller, two sacks and 17 tackles, with four tackles for a loss for Utah's defense. A guy that stands out, Every single game he plays in, an anchor on that defense, and a defense that's just given up just 10 points per game on the season, and Bishop is a big reason for that. Utah has found a way to stay competitive, as I said, with Kim rising out. They beat Florida in week one of the season, 24-11, to and then beat Baylor as well, 20-13. to We'll see what they could do today against UCLA, who hasn't beaten really anyone great to start the year. They beat NC Central last week, 59-7. to That's a game where you should beat them pretty handily. They were averaging 40.3 points per game, 527 yards per game on offense, but they're against very small opponents to begin the season. UCLA's quarterback is Dante Moore, who has 615 passing yards, seven passing touchdowns in an interception of the season. UCLA's best defensive player is Leatu Latu, who has four sacks, seven tackles, and five tackles for loss on the year. And their running back is former Ball State running back Carson Steele, who transferred from Ball State to UCLA. He's now their lead back, who has 30 carries, 243 yards, and two touchdowns on the season. I think Utah would win this one by 10 points plus if Kim Rising plays. But if he doesn't, I think it would be a very close battle. I'm going to go with Utah winning this one 24-20. I think it would be a very close game if Rising doesn't play. But if he does play, I'd like them to win by 10 points or more. Next up, we have Ole Miss heading to Alabama. Ole Miss is number 15 in the country. Alabama is number 13. Alabama is 55-9-2 all-time versus Ole Miss with seven straight wins. So as you can tell, historically, they have dominated Ole Miss. Bama is 9-3 versus Ole Miss when both teams are ranked. 
Bama went with Tyler Buckner as their quarterback last week against South Florida. They also had Ty Simpson in there as well. Nick Saban said in an interview over the last week that he promised all three quarterbacks this season that they'd play at some point. I don't really know if I buy that. He probably didn't think Jalen Monroe was good enough after seeing him struggle against Texas a couple weeks ago now. But now they're going back to Monroe quarterback. Buckner really wasn't great last week versus South Florida. They won that game just 70-13 to on the road. Buckner was 5 of 14 passing for 34 yards. Simpson was a little bit better, 5 of 9 passing for 73 yards and a rushing touchdown. Roy Dell Williams, the starting back for Alabama, was asked to do a lot in that game. He carried the offense 17 carries for 129 yards and a touchdown. One thing about Alabama is that their offensive line hasn't been great to start the season. That's one thing that kept South Florida in that game. It was only a two-score game. And it's because that offensive line for Alabama really did struggle. And then obviously Buckner and Simpson weren't really the answers at quarterback. One thing for Alabama is that their defense has been good all season. Linebacker Dallas Turner has been a disruptor for them. Two sacks, 12 tackles, and three tackles are lost on the year. Odd row with Milrow at quarterback over Simpson and Buckner. That's what it seems like is going to be the case for Alabama in today's game. Ole Miss is led by quarterback Jackson Dott, who has 449 passing yards, five touchdowns, and two interceptions on the season, with 213 rushing yards and two rushing touchdowns. He loves to run the ball, and I expect him to do that today against Alabama. If the pass rush does get to him and he has to evade the rush and scramble, I expect him to take off and try to use his ability to run the ball to his advantage. Their best wide receiver is Jordan Watkins, who has been his top target all season. I'd expect Alabama defensive back Kool-Aid McKinsey to be on him all game. 15 catches for 290 yards and a touchdown on the season for Watkins. That should be a good game. I think Alabama win this one, though. I'm going to go with Alabama winning. 30-21 to 21 in this one. It should be a fun one to watch, though, nevertheless. And Milrow is back at quarterback for them. So we'll see what he can do after taking a week off and being on the bench. So now I'm going to move on and talk about another ranked matchup, and that's the number 19 team in the country, Colorado, heading to the number 10 team in the country, Oregon. Colorado escaped a very close game last week against Colorado State, winning the game in overtime. They were bailed out by quarterback Shadur Sanders, who absolutely balled out in the fourth quarter in an overtime to get the Buffaloes a win. He was 12 of 16 passing in the fourth quarter in overtime. With 175 passing yards, three touchdowns, no interceptions, and a 150 passer rating in the fourth quarter and in overtime last week. So very impressive close to the game for him. The Buffaloes are down eight points with under a minute to go. And Sanders tied the game with a touchdown pass to Jimmy Horn. They end up getting the two-point conversion, forcing overtime. And Shadur Sanders balled out yet again in overtime, getting them the win. He's balled out late in games overall to start the season, and that's what's been big for the Colorado offense. He has an 84% completion percentage in the fourth quarter in an overtime, which is number one in college football, 450 passing yards, which is number one in college football, and five passing touchdowns, which is tied for first in college football. They would have double digits in this game to Colorado State in the fourth quarter, had a miraculous comeback, 348 passing yards, four passing touchdowns, and an 80% completion percentage for Sanders in this game. They're referring to him as Tom Brady since he was going in full-up Brady mode and leading a comeback, which is the case. He really has led Colorado late in games and got them to get wins early in the season when they needed to step up like against TCU and against Colorado State last week. He's been the guy that stepped up and really shown out for them. So credit to him there and, and credit to his ability to go full-up Brady mode and lead a comeback. He has been sacked 15 times this season, which is fourth most in college football. So the offensive line has to find a way to protect him a little better, especially against Oregon's defense today. They will be without Travis Hunter, though, which is a big loss for Colorado. He took a bad hit last week against a Colorado State safety. He will miss at least this week and maybe a couple more, which is a big loss for Colorado on offense and on defense, considering he's a great defensive back and wide receiver as well. Oregon has been balling this season. No turnovers on offense in the first three games of the year. Oregon has beaten Colorado three straight games, but this Colorado team is different than the Colorado team from the last couple seasons. Oregon has won nine of the last 10 matchups, though, against Colorado, and they always scored 38-plus versus Colorado, so we'll see what the case is today. 
Their quarterback is Bo Nix, who has been balling to start the year. 893 passing yards, 8 touchdowns, and no picks. Their leading wide receiver is Troy Franklin, who has been his best weapon on the season. 17 catches for 292 yards and 3 touchdowns. And the defensive back, Kyrie Jackson, is their best defense player with 2 interceptions on the year so far. Running back Bucky Irving is their lead back, who is dangerous as well in the run game. 27 carries for 216 yards and 3 touchdowns on the ground. We'll see what he could do in today's game. I think Oregon wins this one, but I think it'll be a little bit closer than people are expecting. I think Oregon wins this one 38-27. Now I'm going to move on and talk about Oregon State heading to Washington State. This is number 14, traveling to number 21 in the country. Washington State has won 8 of the last 9 matchups versus Oregon State. Washington State's quarterback is Cameron Ward, who has been going off this season for 985 passing yards, 9 passing touchdowns, no interceptions. He's been great on the ground as well. He's a great runner, 95 rushing yards and 2 rushing touchdowns. He's a playmaker for this Cougars offense, and I expect them to have a big game today against Oregon State. The defense is led by Ron Stone Jr., who has three sacks on the season with 12 tackles and four tackles for a loss. Oregon State's offense is led by DJ Ungalele, who has 630 passing yards, six passing touchdowns, and two interceptions on the season, also adding in four touchdowns on the ground. Washington State's offense is averaging 48 points per game. They beat Wisconsin in Week 2 in a surprise game, 31-22. And they beat Colorado State early in the season in Week 1, 50-24. And that's a Colorado State team that almost beat Colorado last week. It was a very close game. Obviously, it took an overtime effort out of Shadur Sanders and Colorado to win that one over Colorado State. Oregon State beat San Jose State on the season, 42-17. And San Diego State last week, 26-9. Oregon State's defense is very good, so that's going to be a tough matchup for Washington State's offense. But I think Washington State gets an upset win in this one. I think they win this one 31-27. Next up, we have the number 6 team in the country, Ohio State traveling to the number 9 team in the country, Notre Dame. Ohio State is 3-0 on the year. Notre Dame is 4-0. Ohio State's quarterback is Kyle McCord, who has 815 passing yards, 6 passing touchdowns, and an interception on the season. Ohio State relies heavily on their running back, Trevion Henderson who has 30 carries for 191 yards and four touchdowns on the season. Their best player on offense, though, and one of the best players in all of college football is Marvin Harrison Jr., a very good wide receiver for them who is very dangerous. I've mentioned him now a few times on the podcast. 14 catches for 304 yards and three touchdowns on the air. Ohio State beat Western Kentucky last week 63-10. They've won every game on the season by three-plus scores. Their defense has been very tough, allowing just 6.7 points per game on the year. But that's against smaller opponents. Their biggest opponent they played on the year was Indiana. And now Notre Dame will be their biggest test on the season. And vice versa. This will be Notre Dame's biggest test on the year thus far as well. Notre Dame's quarterback is Sam Hotman, who has been absolutely balling on the year. 1,061 passing yards, 13 passing touchdowns, and no interceptions. He's a candidate for the Heisman in my eyes. He has been lights out for that Notre Dame offense. And that's why I think they're going to be in this game today. And that's why I think they'll, they'll win, which I'll get to my prediction in just a second. Audric Estime is the lead back for Notre Dame. 63 carries for 521 yards and five touchdowns in the first four games of the season. Notre Dame beat Central Michigan last week, 41-17. to They've won every game on the year by three scores or more, including two wins over Navy and NC State. Those are the two bigger wins on the season. But now facing Ohio State will be the biggest matchup on the season. As I said, this will be Ohio State's biggest matchup thus far in the season as well. And as for my prediction, I think Notre Dame wins this game. They're giving up just 12 points per game on defense, which, as I said, against smaller opponents besides NC State and Navy. But they're also averaging 46 points per game and 508 yards per game on offense. Their offense has been lights out with Sam Hotman. I think they have an upset win today. 
over Ohio State. I think if they win this one, they're going to be ranked at least in the top six if they win this game. I think they win this one 27-24. I think it'll be a battle, but I like Notre Dame to be an upset win today, just like I like Washington State over Oregon State. Two very good matchups there between Notre Dame and Ohio State and then Oregon State and Washington State, but I like the two underdogs in those two games to come out with big wins. Anyways, it will conclude this episode. Thank you guys so much for taking the time to listen to this. As always, I appreciate it. I hope you guys have a good one, and I will see you guys in the next episode. Thank you guys, and enjoy your weekend.